Hey 12, I'm excited to be here today with Megan Allen. Megan grew up in Council Grove, but has been living in Emporia this area about how long? About three or four years. Yeah. And so you're here representing Never Too Young? Yes. And this has been something, it's been on my heart for quite a while to get this started, but only recently uh, had the team come together to make it a reality. And uh, I guess my dream for Never Too Young, my vision for it is to that it is a group of young adults that basically find... Uh, needs within the community and want to try to fill those needs with Christ and make those opportunities available for uh, other believers that want to put their service that want to uh, <laughs> yeah sure yeah be the hands and feet of Jesus right exactly I mean being the pra demonstrating his love through practical meaning practical needs exactly which is really cool because you know the vision at 12th right now I mean right now the vision I think it's it's what Jesus was about he came, he said, to renew all things. Peter said to restore all things. Colossians 1, to reconcile all things back to God. So we're all about restoring everything back to God, one person, one place at a time. And you guys are doing that in a very practical way. So that's really cool that we get to partner together in this way. So so what you, this the groups kind of come together, the core seven, right? In the last few weeks, month, month and a half? About a month and a half, yeah. Okay. And just you were open to whatever this community needed a way to serve and you guys were coming back from Mexico and COVID was going on so what grew out of that what are you guys doing right now right now we are doing what we're calling a community meal delivery service so every Monday we come out here and start uh, prepping which just using your kitchen facility has been fantastic for that and then we're able to deliver a meal pretty much to whoever needs it there's not really any stipulations on who can sign up for these uh, free delivered meals and uh, we prepare these meals and then we send them out we have different delivery drivers that take these meals to people's homes and no matter how they're affected by COVID-19 uh, these meals can kind of help whether it's financial needs or not being able to get out uh, to just ease that burden and bring the love of Christ into their home yeah and I see you guys are over there busy Mondays Tuesdays is delivery day Food prep Monday, right? We do some of the food prep Monday. We try to do as much as we can, and then we do the majority of it still on Tuesday. Okay, but about six to eight hours on Monday, you put in, you said 12 yesterday. Yeah, it depends on the week, yeah. but uh, the more numbers we have, and yesterday we had the uh, privilege of serving over 200 people in our community, so yeah, there was a little bit of time involved. Wow, 200. What'd you start with, I mean, that first week? What was it, like four or five? I don't know. Which it actually surprised us, because we were expecting really low numbers, but the first week we had about 125. Social media is an amazing thing to spread the word about wow. these things. Yeah, I've been here in like 145, 150 a lot, so all up to 200. Who are the main people you guys are serving? If you were to break it into categories of that 200, what would you say? I would say uh, probably a big majority is people who are at risk and who are quarantining themselves at home. Um, some A lot of elderly people fall into that category. And something that I've been really excited that we're able to do is also to serve families, uh, regardless of the numbers. Uh, so whether they're struggling from financial needs or if they're also quarantining, uh, yeah. that's a large part of our audience. And right now, I mean, still kind of the core seven of you are doing all that food prep and stuff, right? Pretty much, yes. And we've tried to keep it pretty much with the same group for uh, just the health department and the standards they've put out. Uh, try not to add anybody new in there. Uh, and we're following all the regulations that they've been uh, suggesting for us as yeah. well. And you said a few online members of your team. So, like, I could join your team 
and I could be like, hey, a little more Cool Whip on those those desserts <laughs> right there. Could you put toothpicks in those? You're, no, your online people are more praying with you, or what's their... And we're still kind of trying to keep it to our core group, and three of us were not able to help with the food prep process. So there are our prayer team, our prayer warriors. One of the girls online has put together a, a prayer email. So anybody can sign up to be on this prayer chain uh, to pray for the prayer requests that go out. When we put out the form for people to request these meals, there's a tag in there that says, is there any way we can pray for you? And so we compile those prayer requests and she sends them out to anybody who's willing to pray. And it's all anonymous, but um, that way we are making sure to pray for these needs that are around our community as well. Yeah. Okay, so you're not needing a fake Paul Hollywood helping you with food prep. You just want <laughs> some people praying. Okay. Um, so you've been doing this about a month and a half, is that right, you said? The, uh, last time was our fourth time to offer the service, so right in there. Yeah, and initially you were going to start in your own kitchen right that was my first off-the-cuff idea when we were thinking it would be about 30 to 40 people tops and at that point it would have been probably just me preparing because there wouldn't have been any space for social distancing or um following those other regulations so yeah yeah so ended up that the space here was really helpful let you guys scale up yes but you're also as we talked you know you've got your core seven but you've got people who are Helping to drive. How many drivers do you have that are helping deliver? Ooh, it's changed from week to week, and definitely that need is growing. But we had roughly ten last night, and could use more. We generally try to keep each driver to three to five stops, and that way the food can get delivered warm. Um, but yes, those people are absolutely necessary on our okay. our crew. So could use a few more drivers if potentially. There were some people. And it's kind of the same deal where if we can, we would like to keep with our original drivers if they want to keep coming back because they'll get used to the routine and how everything goes. There are different routes. We'll try to keep the same. But I'd say we could probably still use three to five more drivers. And I have heard some different people that are interested. So uh, that need may be getting filled fairly quickly. Yeah. I assume this costs money that you're just not getting food free to prepare. <laughs> if somebody wanted to help you guys financially, how would they do that? Well, uh, up until here recently, I would have pointed them to our fundraiser on Facebook. Uh, that recently closed because we met our goal, but that was when we had kind of a smaller vision, I think, for what this would turn into. And uh, I've had people ask me if I would consider reopening that, so that might be what ends up happening. At this point, um, we're still working on getting incorporated as a nonprofit, and once that happens, they'll be able to make donations directly to uh, the Ministry of Never Too Young, but at this point, uh, probably going through Facebook or contacting me or one of our team directly is the best okay. way to go about doing that. And if you relaunch that, you let us know so we can let people know, right? Yeah, that'd be great. Yep. Okay. Sure can. Uh, appreciate your time. I'm excited about this. I've been telling the people at 12th that I see things they don't see, that the way, ways that God is at work and His kingdom is advancing. And this is one of the really cool ones. Um, I've known those guys were over there and have watched from a distance as that's happened, poked my head in last week. But um, this is a kingdom initiative, and that's we're just that's what 12th is all about, is we want to be the, the people who can demonstrate the love of God. We want to bring some of that shalom that was lost at the fall, that was in that original creation back into life. So they're helping us to be that vision of restoring all things back to God. Mm -hmm. Literally 200, one person, but they're hitting 200, one place, 200 homes at a time. And that's exactly what it would be about. So I'm so glad you came. Thank you for your time. Yeah, thanks for having me.
Megan, thanks for that. I thoroughly enjoyed talking to you even before the interview. You guys are doing a great work. And I want to remind everyone that though we're in quarantine, God and the good news are not in quarantine. God is still powerfully on the move. During our Easter service, we had 10 individually, individuals virtually raise their hands, indicating a new commitment to Jesus. Pretty cool, right? And just this week, another individual who is in a spiritually seeking mode came forward, and I'll be um, having, I'm sure, some pretty good conversations with them in the coming weeks. So be encouraged. Jesus, the great lion, is on the move. So I've been thinking this week um, about this topic, and this is where I want to go with it. When this virus first started, we were all suddenly hit with a new reality. And there were a lot of um, emotions that came up related to facing something new and unknown. And then the new normal began to set in, and some of those initial emotions settled down, even if they stayed with us to a degree. But as I've talked with people this past week or so, I've heard a lot of talk that as this thing goes on, some of those emotions, or even new ones, are stirring up again. So what, if anything, does the Bible say about this? What do we do with all these emotions? Are they even healthy? I think to, answer, think to answer these questions, we can turn to the book of Psalms. There we see David and other psalmists as they relate their emotional life to God. Through, among other things, the Psalms of Lament. An example of a lament that I've used before is Psalm 13. Here's what it says. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, O Lord, my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. My enemy will say, I have overcome him, and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, for he has been good to me. I've taught on this before, but I'm going to come at it a little differently this morning. So let me make a few observations about laments. First, as you can see from Psalm 13, a lament is an honest expression of confusion, of pain in the face of loss. It's a cry or a complaint to God, a cry filled with our doubts, with our accusations against Him, or against others, or both. Second, biblical laments are packed with emotion. In the laments, you'll find anger, sorrow, grief, fear, confusion, frustration, despair, would you be surprised to learn that 40% of the Psalms are laments? A lot of people are surprised to learn that. I think there is a good reason for that, which we hopefully will see this morning. If you look closely at a biblical lament, you will see that it, it is one prayer with two parts. The first part is the cry, the expression of our genuine emotion, the declaration of pain, the acknowledgement of a presenting problem. But a biblical lament, it never stops there. A second part always follows. The cry is always followed by confidence, the reaffirmation of the greater reality. The declaration of pain is followed by a declaration of hope. 
there is the confession of a greater reality, a concluding vote of confidence in God and in His character. I find this two-part structure of the biblical lament, both the cry and the confidence, to be very profound and extremely relevant to real life. For in these two parts, biblical lament shows me how to approach the difficulties in our lives and their accompanying emotions in a healthy way. So I want to spend a few minutes delving into these two parts of lament. So first there is the cry. Look at verses 1 to 4. There David says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, O Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. My enemy will say I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. Do you know what that first part of the biblical lament, the cry, do you know what that teaches me? It teaches me to not ignore the reality of life circumstances and the emotions that accompany them. It teaches me to face my difficulties and all of their pain, for the loss in difficult times is real. Rather than deny their existence, I need to face them head on, entering fully into the emotions that they bring. But even more importantly, the cry of the biblical lament teaches me to give voice to my emotions. Specifically, my, my emotions need to be verbally expressed to God. As we face difficulties, the first part, first part of the biblical lament, this cry, it is so crucial. And do you know why? Because many of us are not good at emotions, especially ones like grief, doubts, confusion, and pain. Some of us tend to sugarcoat our difficulties, try to put a positive spin on them. But I think it's the tendency of most of us to ignore the reality of the loss, to suffer silently, to deny the painful emotions by hiding them and pretending that everything's okay, to internalize the pain by pushing those raw emotions deep into the recesses of our hearts. There are different reasons why we do this, but for some of us, it is simply the fact that we hate to admit that we don't have it all together and that we need somebody else's help, that we are frail, and that we're human. So we suck it up and we pretend that everything's okay. I mean, that's what our culture teaches us to do, right? Here's the truth of the matter. God is not interested in being a bystander to our lives as we hide our emotions from him. Hide our emotions. Neither is he interested in our denying life's harshest realities by putting a, a happy face on all the negative events of our lives. He has absolutely no interest in that at all. Zero. God longs for us to bring every dimension of our lives before Him. Our hurts, our pain, our doubts, our frustrations, our disappointments, even our questions. Nothing is off limits with God. It is His desire that we get past all the holy talk and to get real with Him by giving full expression of the emotions we experience in the midst of upheaval and a difficulty to Him. Raw and uncensored. No holds barred. As C.S. Lewis said, we must lay before God what is in us, not what ought to be in us. Whenever an international student would become a new believer, I would take them through some discipleship material I created. One of the early lessons I would teach them on prayer was to 
pray your real life. A lot of new Christians think there are certain topics that a person should pray about. A lot of people think God only wants to hear spiritual things, right? Oh, surely God doesn't want to hear about my day spent changing my new baby's dirty diapers. But in Matthew 18, Jesus tells us to become like little children. And the beautiful thing about children is they approach people and life as they truly are. No mask, no pretense. They simply say what's on their mind and on their heart. Like the time Carissa and going into Walmart when she was, I don't know, three years old, and we were knock, walking next to a guy who had uh, some earrings, and Carissa just looked at him and said, hey, guys shouldn't be wearing earrings. That's what children are like, right? And that's why I love the Psalms. They teach me to pray my real life, my real emotions, without wearing masks or pretense. As you get acquainted with the Psalms, you'll see they catch the full range of emotions. Anguish, joy, abandonment, sadness, fear, anger, shame and brokenness, questions and doubts, everything in between. And when I read the different prayers in the Psalms, I realize that God wants me to pray my real life to Him. My joys and my tears, my anger and my fears, nothing is off limits with Him. That's why David says in Psalm 62, 8, O oh, my people, trust in him at all times. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. Pour out your hearts to him. That is his plea. We can come to God just as we are and pray our real lives to him without any fear of offending him. God is a good and loving father who wants to hear your real life. Any good father wants to hear what is really going on in their children's lives and in their hearts. So go ahead. Talk to him about the things that are really on your heart. Talk to him about your real life, not the life you're supposed to have. So lay it all before him. Express your genuine emotions to him. Go ahead. Let her rip. Take it to God and vent it to him through a personal lament. He can handle it. And more importantly, he wants it. Now, thankfully, a biblical lament never ends simply with the cry. A turn always happens. Look at verses 5 and 6. There, David says this, But, but I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, for He has been good to me. There is an intentional turning of the heart and the eyes toward God what I call the confidence. Um, this turn is frequently marked by words like but, yet, or nevertheless, which is why Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann calls the second part of a lament the great nevertheless. I love that. In our text, it's a but. It's in verse 5. If you have the printed uh, discussion guide sheet, circle that but because it's really significant. Biblical lament always ends on a high note. They always conclude with what the psalmist knows to be true about God, the center of all of reality. They always finish in trust. In fact, look at verse 5 again um, and circle the word trust because it's there. I trust in your unfailing love. This is so important because the truth of the matter is that the difficulties of your life and the emotions they engender, they do not have the last word in your life. 
Do you know what the biblical, the second part of a biblical lament teaches me? It teaches me to not forget about God, the greater reality. The second part of a biblical lament reminds me to trust and to hope. It calls me to focus my attention on a much larger reality in my life, though perhaps unseen. A reality that is more solid and lasting than difficulty that's staring me in the face. That ultimate reality is God, the creator and the sustainer of the universe, the lover and the shepherd of my soul, my redeemer and my good, good father. This second part of the biblical lament, this expression of confidence, it is as crucial as the first part, if actually, if not more. And do you know why? Because it's easy to allow ourselves to be consumed by the difficulties in our lives, thereby losing sight of God, the greater reality. Rarely is this intentional. It's so easy to become so focused on our present circumstances that God's presence in the situation, it begins to fade into the background. So remember, a lament is incomplete without that second part, the expression of confidence, the reaffirmation of the greater reality. So when you lament, make sure you finish your lament well. Whatever you do, don't shortchange that second part of the lament, the confidence, that reaffirmation of the greater reality. Don't get so lost in the cry that you forget the confidence. Remember, the laments in the end, they remind me of the God reality by pointing me beyond my circumstances and beyond my emotions, and they always direct me towards Him. So yes, by all means, give voice to your emotions in the midst of difficulty, but then move on to the greater reality. End in worship every time. So let me give you a new metaphor or image to help us think about these times we find ourselves in and our emotional responses and God. You don't have to do much climbing of tall mountains in Colorado to realize that the weather at the top of a mountain is very unpredictable. Unexpected weather systems and storms come in fast and strong. And before you know it, the storm has blown over and just as quickly as it came, it left and you find yourself standing in the clearest, most blue of skies. It doesn't matter what your weather app tells you on the day of a climb, storms can blow up unexpectedly and out of nowhere. We who live in Kansas totally understand the fickleness of weather better than most, don't we? That's why we say in Kansas, if you don't like the weather today, wait till tomorrow. I could tell you so many stories of the weather on mountaintops and of sudden storms that came out of nowhere, but I'm going to keep it to two. One year we were in western Colorado and visiting the Maroon Bells. It was an early June day, but while we were there, a cold front blew in and it started to sleet. We weren't prepared for that. We were in shorts and summer clothes. At least I was. Shorts being my preferred attire, even in the winter. And mothers, trust me, it's a losing battle with your boys, okay? Anyways, while we were there, a family showed up in full parkas, long pants, gloves, they had their knit hats on, and we asked them to take our picture for us. They did, and then we returned the favor. After that, they asked us, are you Canadians? And we replied, no, we're from Kansas. 
and they said, we thought the way you dressed up, you must be from way up north somewhere. They were from Florida, we found out, and they were so amazed at how we were dressed. They took a picture with us to show their friends back home of those crazy, warm-blooded Kansans. A few summers later, our family joined some dear Colorado friends on a hike to the top of Devil's Slide. If you're looking at the image, it's in the upper right-hand corner. I know, you're thinking, what was a pastor doing playing on the Devil's Slide? But trust me, the view from the top is amazing. Anyways, the dad of the other family is an expert at climbing Colorado mountains, regularly climbs 14ers, and he's an expert at reading the weather conditions up there. When we got to the top, we looked west, and it looked like a nasty storm was suddenly forming a distance from us. Kieran said, Dad, that doesn't look good. I think we should start down. I asked Mark, our trusty companion, he said, I don't think that's going to come over here. And wouldn't you know it, about 10 minutes later, it was right on top of us. Heavy rain and lightning. We bolted down the mountain. Trail? Forget the trail. We just went straight down. I learned that day that lightning is a great motivator. And I don't know that we ever ran so fast. Usain Bolt had nothing on us that day. I guess that's what you get for playing on Devil's Slide, huh? Here's the point. Storms can blow in or even form over a peak in no time and without warning. And when they do, they obscure the mountain. And that storm becomes your sole focus. Trust me, I know. They have an interesting way of consuming your thoughts and attention. But the one thing that always stays the same, stays in the same spot, stays as solid as ever, unchanging, unmovable, is the mountain. It's the main focus most of the time, but when a storm blows in, it is so easily obscured. I want you to know that your emotions are the weather, and God, and the truth about Him and His character, that God is the mountain. Emotions, like weather, are ever-changing. They come and they go. They're variable, fluctuating, even volatile at times, right? Strong emotions can rise up within us without a moment's notice, can't they? A slight change in our circumstances, or even no apparent change at all, can generate in us a huge change of emotions. Many times, depending on the circumstances and our personality, those emotions linger for a long time. But we've also experienced those same emotions dissipate as quickly as they came. This past week, I've been hearing that people are experiencing a lot of changes in emotions from day to day or even within a day. I've been experiencing some interesting emotions myself the last couple of weeks. It's part of living in the upheaval this virus has brought into our lives and some of the uncertainty that that upheaval has brought. It's normal to feel that way. It's how God designed us. Part of being fully human is having emotions, and at their roots, these emotions, they're normal and they're healthy. But we also know that emotions can run to extremes where they start messing with our thoughts and our behavior in unhealthy ways. And when we begin to allow our lives to be dictated and driven by our emotions, the end result is never good. That's why all the wise sages over time have said that we should not allow ourselves to be governed by them. Our emotions and the circumstances that cause them are unsteady and changing, just like the weather. 
They can be affected by the smallest of things. The day's weather can affect my emotions, my physical condition, even the levels of my tiredness. Here's the point. As important as they are, emotions cannot be trusted by themselves. And they cannot be the compass by which we chart our course. If you allow your emotions to drive your life, your choices and decisions, then your life will be unstable. That's why one of the earliest lessons crew teaches new believers is their train. Feelings are not the engine, they're the caboose. It is fact, faith, feeling. The facts are to be the engine of our lives. So hence our need to be brought back to ultimate reality, something firmer and much more solid than our circumstances, than our interpretation of the circumstances, or the stories we tell ourselves about the circumstances, and more firm and solid than the emotions that grow out of them. And that's where truth comes in. I learned in my master's level counseling classes that the tendency of many is to be driven by their emotions, which then impact their behavioral choices, which then tend to reinforce those very emotions and heighten them. I was taught that in counseling, you have to come at it from the opposite direction. You first work on thinking, on realign, realigning my thinking to the truth, taking my thoughts captive in the language of Paul, and then on demonstrating trust in the truth by making choices and decisions that align with the truth, no matter how I feel, knowing that our feelings and emotions will catch up to those choices later. And that's exactly what the psalmists do. They give expression to their genuine emotions, but then they always, with intentionality, bring themselves back to the ultimate reality, to the truth of who God is, reaffirming that reality, the reality which is greater than our circumstances and greater than our emotions. That's why our thinking is so important, especially the way we view God, the world, and how He relates to it. A.W. Tozer famously wrote, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. That our idea of God correspond as nearly as possible to the true being of God is of immense importance. A right conception of God is basic. And so the heaviest obligation lying upon the Christian church today is to purify and elevate her concept of God until it is once more worthy of Him. It is supremely important that we view God as He truly is. For God is the mountain. He's the unchanging one. He's the creator of the universe and the one who ultimately reigns as king. He's a good shepherd and our good and loving father. He is the El Capitan that is the dominant reality over our lives. Not the changeable circumstances, especially the storms that come into our lives, not the unpredictable emotional swings that tend to follow our circumstances, but God. He's the reality, our rock, our shield, our fortress, our mountain. So today, I point us all toward lament. We truly live in disorienting times. Our up and down emotional responses in this time, they're normal and they're natural. It's okay to feel the way you feel. So let us with David, give voice to our emotions in their full range. Even the grief, 
that some of us feel at the things we've lost in this time, for those losses are real. Own up to those emotions. Give voice to them, to God. Let him have it, so to speak. Feel. I have found the feeling wheel to be a helpful way um, for me to give names to the jumble of emotions that I feel. Not just the, the feeling wheel, but on soul words also. It's kind of the same concept. I'll pull it out, and I'll go through it, and I'll circle all of the words on here that describe what is going on inside. And then as I survey the wheel as a whole, it'll give me a sense of the emotional categories that are predominating at that time. I find this inner knowledge quite helpful. And I have put this resource, the Emotion Wheel and the Soul Wards, both um, on the Sermon Resources page of our website. And the link should be on the screen if you want to get that. But I encourage you to use it. And then what you do is you take those emotions to God. If you feel betrayed, let him know that. If you feel grief and loss, tell him. If you're sad, give voice to that. And it doesn't just have to be negative emotions. Share with God all of your emotional life. Express to him your joys and excitement as well. Experience them, but keep them in their rightful place. And how do you do that? By making sure that you make that crucial turn toward God, the mountain, the ultimate reality. Yes, we lean into our emotions, but more importantly, we lean on God. We don't put our emotions in the trunk, but we don't put them in the driver's seat either. Remind yourself that your emotions are not designed by God to be the driver of your behavior and your life. Remind yourself that the way toward transformation in the image of Jesus, is through the renewal of the mind, according to Paul in Romans 12, and taking on the mind of Christ, 1 Corinthians 2, and through the taking captive of our thoughts and making them obedient to Him, 2 Corinthians 10. So we turn toward Him, and we fix our gaze upon Him, and we set our minds and our hearts on things above, Colossians 3. We remind ourselves of that mountain that's there, perhaps hidden by the storm, of our circumstances and or our emotions, but, but it, that is there. We draw on the Word of God, especially the imagery of the Psalms, to reorient our thoughts toward Him, reminding ourselves of the truth of His unchanging character, reminding ourselves of the history of our journey with Him and of all the ways He's provided for us in the past, and reminding ourselves of His promised presence in the midst of our storms. Let me emphasize one final thing. It doesn't just stop here in the mind. <clears throat> it must work its way out into my actions. The crew train reminds us that we have to demonstrate our trust in the truth by living into it, by demonstrating trust in our actions and through our obedience. The ending confidence of lament isn't just in here in my head. But it's also got to be demonstrated here with my hands. We don't just believe, but we be-live. We be-live into the reality of God and the truth we know about Him. That's why when I've spoken of our fears um, and the podcast, some other things, one of the main emotions this virus has brought, I've encouraged you to step into your fear. 
step into that place where you think your fears may very well be driving your life in an unhealthy way. If you continue to do that with any inordinate emotion, you will find that over time that that overwhelming power of those emotions in your life will begin to diminish. For God designed us so that our emotions would follow our behavior and not the other way around. So for example, my unhealthy fears, unhealthy, are crying out to me, self-protect. But I look not at my fear, but I look toward the mountain, toward God, my El Capitan, where I see a God who is defined by self-giving, self-sacrificing agape love. And so I step out of my overwhelming, self-protecting sense of fear, and I step into meeting another's need, trusting God with my life and my soul. And in doing that, over the course of months, end of years, I begin to find the inordinate fear that I experience begin to slowly diminish. I find myself living more courageously as I seek to more and more embody Jesus and his good news to a watching world. Trust me on this. I know all of this from experience. Let us learn to practice biblical lament. To both give voice to your cry, to our cry, while also pivoting to our confidence. It's an important spiritual practice, essential, I think. To live the lament lifestyle is to live in and to embody hope. Hope doesn't mean we deny the harsh reality of life. Doesn't mean we deny our emotional response to the realities. But hope means that the emotions engendered by our circumstances are not what rule in our lives. Hope means that the greater reality in my life is the mountain and not the weather around the mountain. Hope means that I trust in the ultimate greatness and goodness of God. And I trust that he's got this, not only the virus, but he's got my life. He's got my life. And so I can walk in great hope and in great confidence that God holds me and my life in his hands, the best place that I can be. And when I walk in hope, I'm able to be that non-anxious presence that this world, that my neighbors, that my family, that my children so desperately need to see. For those of you who are in the midst of a storm right now, hear me. Here's the truth of the matter. Here's the mountain behind the storm. God is there. Though the storm may have covered him from your view, so to speak, he is real and he is present. And he is the larger reality. He is firmly in place. He's not going anywhere. From everlasting to everlasting, he is God. He is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. He is unchanging. He is holy and just, and he always does what is right. And he is good and gracious and compassionate, abounding in love and faithfulness. He cares. And though it doesn't always seem like it, he is in control. And he causes all things to work for good to those who love him and who are called according to his purposes. So put your trust in him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these psalms of lament. Through them, you teach us of our need to give full voice to the emotions that we're experiencing. Thank you that you hear and that you care. 
And through these lament psalms, you also teach us to not rely upon our emotions, but to always return to true north on our compasses by recalibrating and realigning our minds to the truth of who you are. Help us to be people who ground our lives in the truth of who you are and who take that truth and live it out in the daily reality of our lives. May we be a people of hope, a people who do not live in a spirit of fear, but in the spirit of power and of love and of sound judgment. We pray this to you, our rock and our salvation. And all of God's people said, Amen. So be it.